I felt compelled to speak out as a person in healthcare to say, hey, we got to talk about this and we got to do better because it's not okay. No one should ever die alone. Hey guys, welcome back to The Selfie Show. For those of you new to the show, my name is Tori Meskin. I am the founder of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And sitting across from me is my beautiful co-host. So I'm Sam. I'm an emergency flight nurse, former NICU nurse, college professor, and powerlifter. Somewhat of an Instagram curator, you might say. Yeah. But now co-host of The Selfie Show. Yeah, and uh, the tone of this week is going to be a little different, you guys. Um, we, I sent Sam um, a video last night, and it's funny because this is this is a very hot topic. This is something that I think is very timely. Sam and I like to hit things head on with timely, controversial, controversial issues, and this is definitely one. Um, so last night I sent her this video. It was. Um, Z dogs forcing patients to die alone is is the is the title of the video, and um, I sent it to her. And it's funny because I was I said in I said you know I would really like to comment on it, but then I was actually really nervous too because I felt like I was going to get chewed up by healthcare providers. Yeah. So when you sent it to me, it was more not even so much like hey, watch what he's saying because you kind of listened to his video and agreed with him. But the reason you sent it to me more was like, hey, check out the comments in this. And you were pretty surprised by the backlash in the comments and some of the back and forth between different healthcare providers in there. And you were like, I kind of want to comment, but I'm afraid because there's some pretty strong opinions going on. Very strong opinions on that. You know, yeah. there was a picture of a doctor that went viral in the news. Like he's, he's comforting a dying patient. And it's like doctor comforts dying patient yes, because that. family can't be there. That doctor is complicit in the policy that allows that patient to die without their loved one next to them. We're all complicit because we're afraid. We're conditioned to listen to authority. And when the authority is behaving like jackasses, this is, you said it, it's a human rights violation. Human rights violation. It's false imprisonment. You're saying, I'm gonna take this person and you can't, oh, here's an iPad, right? And, And put it on a stand and, oh, here, have this conversation. Zoom on the best of days is garbage. At the end of your life, you're going to take that from someone? It's the one thing that they have there? I mean, I think it, 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 it's, it's, it's so awful that we have not spoken up and said that this is absolutely unacceptable. There are things worse than death. I think we've forgotten. <gasps> absolutely. They're much worse than death. And loss of who we are as, as human beings is worse than death. Yes, the virus is something to be feared. It is a, a serious threat. And yes, we ought not to take risk for no reason, but there are things worth taking the risk for. And to hold your mother or your father's hand one last time is clearly in that category. Yeah. And so, you know, I think this is very timely. It's something that, um, you know, just to kind of give you guys a little frame of where we're at, we're in December and we are at an all all time high um, with this situation. Hospitals are overrun. They are at capacity. We have 15 point million cases right now. Um, we've had a total of 285,351 deaths as of today. Um, in the U.S., we've had over, this was three weeks ago, the numbers from three, three weeks ago, 
were 161,000 cases per day. And currently, it's December 10th, we've had 209,000 cases per day on average. It's crazy. And, you know, I mean, I guess that, you know, of course, not every single one of those is hospitalized. You know, that's fine. But that's cases per day, which is it's a lot. But we are seeing a lot of our hospitals at capacity. We're seeing our ICUs down to either being at capacity or having less than 20 percent here in California uh, beds available. And so we're seeing new lockdowns happen again. We're seeing restrictions kind of increase. Different states have different tiers and everything. I know where we live, we've moved back in California into a higher level tier with more restrictions. So we are seeing these huge jumps and spikes. So we're here to very much say that COVID is real. It's very serious. Wear your masks. Yeah. Um, But we definitely have some other stuff to like unpack with this. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, we're coming to you guys, obviously, as healthcare providers. So this is something that is weighing heavy on both of our hearts, but I would say specifically more in Sam's court than even my court. Um, Many of you who follow her know that this is very timely. And I don't know. Do you want to unpack this a little bit, Sam, for... Yeah. So, I mean, I've actually been pretty silent on social media for a little bit now because I still don't really quite know what to say or how to go about talking about this because it's so fresh. But because of the response to this video, I feel as someone who works in healthcare and I'm not just an average person. I mean, I am, but I'm not like putting myself on a pedestal by any means. But as someone who has come onto this podcast and has a voice to speak up, I feel it's my responsibility to get a little more personal and share with you guys and to speak up about what we're seeing as someone who's experienced from both ends. So my stepdad was diagnosed with COVID back in July and battled it for five months. He passed away um, a little over a week ago. And I haven't, I've kind of, I've shared it on social media just through a story I haven't even posted. I've kind of been gone dark on there because I just, I don't know how you ever really speak about the loss of a parent and I'm the time will come where I'm able to maybe post about it or talk about it more, but it's so difficult to put into words still. But then seeing this video and talking about it with Tori, I just felt so strongly on needing to advocate for us as healthcare providers and our patients because he did pass away from COVID and I'm just appalled with some of the ways that we're handling end-of-life care in this country and even just the visitation. And I was pretty shocked to read that there are people in healthcare that were disagreeing with Z-Dog and even just having the... Well, and we're going to go through some of the comments and stuff, but I was just very caught off guard because this is something that hits so close to home and personal for me. I, I hate COVID. <laughs> I would do... I would trade anything in the world to have my stepdad back. That's a man that's been in my life since I was in fourth grade, who is an amazing, amazing human. He's a Vietnam vet. He has been through hell and back in his life and always served others, always did what's best. And he actually served on different board of directors for hospitals in the Southern California region. He spent his whole life Try and like he's been on the board of the Make a Wish Foundation. He spent his whole life trying to provide better things for people in our community. 
And I feel like we failed him in this hospital setting. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because just to kind of give you guys a little recap of what the video was about. So first of all, Z-Dog, let's talk about him really quick. He is, he's a doctor. He has a podcast. He, he's all over social media. He's probably one of the more predominant doctors out there. He's also very controversial. Like it's controversial because he'll say what sometimes needs to be said and people don't always like that. Yeah. And people don't always agree. I'm, I have not always There's agreed. been a couple things I've disagreed with him on. Yeah. 100%. Um, but this particular topic, um, essentially the, the recap of the video was him. Um, he brought on another a fellow doctor and it was an outcry to basically say like we as medical professionals are failing our patients um, in the way of allowing administration to dictate how we provide end-of-life care, specifically in the COVID setting. So he's basically giving an outcry to say, like, the medical field or the medical professionals out there are not doing their due diligence to really provide love and support and humanity at the end of life. And I think this is very pertinent for you right now, Sam. So even touching on visitor policies during COVID time, we know in this country, COVID shut down everything. And we've all made a lot of sacrifices to our personal daily lives and flow of how we do things. And we're inconvenienced by a lot of little things, but it's obviously impacted the healthcare settings tremendously where a lot of hospitals have done away with visitors for every area. There's babies being born without dads there or partners um, there to be with them when they're born. There's People that are in the hospital for unrelated COVID things that still can't have visitors and people dying of cancer in hospitals that still don't have visitors. And that's been since March that we really kind of shut things down. And the whole video goes to speak more about truly not allowing visitors during end of life care. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit about just the whole hospital policy of not allowing any visitor in general, because Tori and I have some opinions on that. But the video was specific to end-of-life care and people dying alone and getting to say goodbye via iPad or just having a doctor or nurse or someone in the room to hold their hand while they pass away and not having their loved one. And I know a couple other people that have had family members die of COVID where they were not able to be there in the room. That's horrific, in my opinion. Um, I was fortunate that myself... And my siblings and mom were all able to be at the bedside while he passed and we were in full PPE. Um, we need to speak up and demand better. And I think that's where he was kind of going with that is saying that by not speaking up, we're complicit in allowing hospital administrators to dictate these decisions. Look, and, uh, you know, these are we're we're very, very in tune with what's going on. Infection rates are crazy right now. We're, we're not, not downplaying. Yeah, COVID we're not downplaying COVID. We're not saying, you know, there's obviously shortage of staff. We have, you know, PPE issues, reusing equipment, you know, the reusing of N95s like we're not downplaying it. But the what we're going at and what I think Sam's biggest point here is why are we not asking why? Why are we not going deeper into this topic? And I think that's what Z-Dog was really trying to dive into is, you know, why aren't we talking about this? And I think, so Sam did a lot of research on this. Well, yeah. So there was actually one more other comment that was like, how are we going to provide visitors with PPE when we don't even have it? That's the why. We're not downplaying by any means that maybe you work at a facility 
where they're making you reuse N95s in paper bags, where they're making you reuse gowns, where there is a shortage. We're not saying that that doesn't exist. We're saying why. why? Here we are in December. We're nine months into this, 10 months. I don't know, however many months we're into this. And so Sam and I actually did a, a bit of research on this topic and to kind of give you an update on the mass production and PPE updates. So here we go. Um, November, the U.S. Department of Defense issued 3M, a $37.5 million expansion production of N95 masks. So 3M is like one of the biggest creators of N95s, and they've already been ramping up production. And the Department of Defense extended that to funnel even more money in just this past November through $37.5 million more dollars to say we need more supplies. So 3M production went from 22 million uh, masks in 2019 to 95 million in 2020. By end of 2020, they will have produced 2 billion masks. Yeah, globally. That's just 95 million in the U.S. and 2 billion globally. And they've also, so their total production value, just this is just the Department of Defense to the, like, so government's 2-3M will be 125.5 million that they've contracted with 3M to make masks. As a rule of thumb, healthcare facilities should stock 90 days of supplies. That's usually, you know, that's the goal of every facility. Now, whether that happens or not, you know, that's that's a facility to facility thing. Um, so Sam found this really interesting article and his name is Mike Bowen. He's the VP of Prestige Ameritech. And they they create or do they supply N95s to hospitals? Well, so they um, produce them. So they produce them and then sell them. Supply them. They're a supplier. CDC approved supplier. And so this was in November. He was quoted by saying, um, we have a surplus on hand. So we are looking for more hospitals that are in trouble. If there are hospitals that are in desperate need of respirators, we have them. We have excess supply capacity of N95s and face shields. You guys, they have a surplus on hand. They, they tripled their employee headcount to boost production. We're going to link this article for you guys to see. And the article is about the shortage of PPE because no one is saying that hospitals aren't short on supplies. And I even read one comment where someone was like, well, do you even know what it's like to be one of those hospital administrators in charge of supply and demand during a global pandemic and that position that they're in? I have a master's degree in nursing leadership. I've done like 250 clinical hours with the chief nursing officer at a very large teaching hospital in Southern California. I've sat in a lot of meetings that I'm not even allowed to talk about because it was confidential subject matter and the thing that I wasn't allowed to like go back and share, but I've seen a lot of the inner workings of upper administrative meetings. And that's when I knew that, hey, I'm not gonna go into leadership even though I got this degree because it's not right for me because here I am talking about this subject so passionately because I feel passionately about we in healthcare look at the bottom line of financials at the cost of patient safety and nursing, not even just nursing, but healthcare things like staffing and ratios and providing resources that they need. And those all because of come down to what is the hospital's bottom line and it's to make money. So no one's saying when people are like, we don't have those things. You should be outraged about it. 
Yeah, you should be very You should angry. be outraged you about it. You should be it. angry. Yeah. You know, it's a lot more expensive than getting your hands on N95s, having to employ emergency strike nurses and pay their $120 an hour salary. That's a lot more expensive. Yeah. And I think this is kind of the point of ZDoc's thing is like, you know, we should be angry. Healthcare providers, we should be frustrated. All of you who are having to hold hands of of these dying patients, you should be angry about this. Um, you know, at this point, and I'm talking, you know, here we are in December. I'm not talking beginning of pandemic. I'm not talking March, April. We're not talking about even visitation, which we're going to go into that in a second. But we're talking specifically end of life, like how horrifying that is, how much PTSD so many healthcare providers are going to have. And we should be angry about that. We should be talking about that. Why aren't we talking about that right now? Just because it's status quo and that's how the things are. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I just we need to challenge that. We need to understand why. Why? Why are we allowing that? I always say before COVID even happened, and that's kind of why I was always like a squeaky wheel on the things because I challenged everything always. <laughs> and it was. Just because something's always been that way doesn't mean it's okay. And we accept that. Like, I, I get passionate about nursing ratios and not taking our breaks and things like that. And we've talked a little bit about that before on previous episodes. But just because we sit down and accept it and go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. We got into it knowing that that's what it's like. And it just because that's the way it is doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't make it right that you go a shift without getting a break. If you can't afford a break or if you can't afford your PPE, you know, let's look at all of our CNOs, all the CFOs, all of these. Uh, are they taking um, Are they taking any pay cuts this year? I'm really curious. Did they get a bonus? For the people who have not, who literally have not set foot in a hospital or, or taking care of a dying patient, like I'm really curious, you know, we should be angry about these things. And the fact that those are the people that dictate what our doctors can say, or because, you know, ultimately those kinds of decisions really come down to the doctors and it should come down to the doctor. If the doctor is saying they need to allow uh, someone at the bedside, that is a doctor decision. Yeah. I'm fortunate in our, my position that I, the doctor was saying, hey, grant these families permission and the nurse manager did. Um, and they made that exception for us. And I can't imagine if they <laughs> tried to not allow us, but so many doctors and nurses are silenced by like, you can't say that. And like, you're not allowed to speak out against policy. Why? <laughs> Why are we accepting this as okay? And as standard? Uh, okay, so I wanted to bring this aspect up because this is something that I think is really interesting. And, you know, obviously this is much more pertinent to Sam and I because, you know, we've we've lived it through the pandemic. So pediatric world. Let's talk pediatric visitation and, and what was happening and what is going on. So and I have taken a poll on two hospitals. Mind you, we are in Southern California. And of course, every pediatric hospital is different. You guys, that's a PSA. But in this in one of the hospitals, housewide, they allow parents that are even positive to be there. Okay. If the parent is asymptomatic, but they're positive, they're still allowed to be with their child. Now they can't wander the hospital. They cannot, they can use the bathroom in the patient's room, but they can't go to the cafeteria. Obviously they have to have a mask on at all time. But let me repeat that. If the parent is asymptomatic and even if they're positive, positive, which is crazy to me, but think about it. We have pediatric patients that come in positive. And obviously, like, 
in that household, it makes sense to have a positive parent. But we've deemed that it's inhumane to separate a child from their parents in a hospitalized setting. What's the difference in age? Okay, so what's the difference, you guys? um, Another hospital policy, they allow one parent at a time and um, they're allowed to switch parents in the same day. Another hospital um, pediatric policy is they can have one parent in a 24 hour period. So meaning if mom comes in at 7 a.m., dad can't come in till 7 a.m. the next day. Um, again, it's always with a mask. If, you know, the parents always wearing a mask, they can't go aware. They can't go around the hospital. They can't wander. You know, there are limitations to it. Um, one NICU, um, they, if a parent does come up positive, they can't come in until 10 days later, but they'll still allow another visitor, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, if a parent is symptomatic, you know, then obviously they're not allowed at the bedside. So there's that. But what's crazy to me is this has been the policy. I mean, we've deemed it the whole time, the whole time in the pediatric world, we've deemed it that you cannot, it's not um, humane to not have a parent or have a parent at the bedside for a child. What's the difference? Yeah, because we're adults, we're just supposed to lose sight of our humanity and be like, suck it up. You're a grown person, so you should just be isolated. There's a reason why in prison they put people in solitary confinement, (laughs) because that's like a form of punishment. And again, we're not talking concerts, restaurants. We're not talking about not wearing masks. We're we're here saying like, look, COVID is a thing. It is huge. Our numbers are huge. That is fine. We are talking end of life. So we're going to unpack some of these comments because so some of these comments, when you read them like as a as for what they are, they sound kind of valid, right? Like I'm reading these and then it's funny. I get where people are coming from. I'm not. They have points. But again, we're losing sight of who we are. Correct. So um, this one, I agree on so many levels. This is awful and inhumane as a nurse caring for COVID patients. This was by far the hardest part and it will haunt me forever. But I'm sad that the way you've chosen to blame doctors and healthcare workers, you say you wouldn't have allowed it. Then why did you? Um, Are you not a doctor yourself? Question mark. What have you done to prevent it? Question mark. I agree with you and I wish this policy would change. It is awful, but piling more guilt onto nurses and doctors should on doctor's shoulders for things that were out of their control is wrong. I think that you to agree with him. You're missing his whole message, though, because he's not blaming doctors and nurses. He's saying you're complicit. Not that it's your fault, but that you're complicit. And by saying, well, what have you done? He's made this video. He's made Tori and I be here talking about it. He's making you talk about it. He's bringing awareness to it. He's speaking up. That's step one. Change can't be made unless we all band together. MDs with nurses, with RTs, with PTs, with every single person that comes into contact with patients and has to put PPE and is a frontline provider in any capacity, we all have to band together and demand better. So he's not like trying to put guilt on us. So the other thing too, and I want to point this out because ZDoc's pretty controversial. And I think a lot of it is honestly the way he delivers it. It's funny because I listen to him and I'm kind of like, I 100% agree with what he's saying. It's the tone sometimes. And I feel like this person is, in, she's looking into the tone more than what he's saying. So the next one, 
It's all fine and dandy that they will wear PPE, quote unquote, sign a waiver and agree to quarantine after being in contact with their family member. But what about the people they came in contact with afterwards? Are you okay with that? Are you sure that they will honor the contract of quote unquote quarantining? Let's just say, for example, a person has allowed to visit a dying family member and signs everything just for compliance sake. And then that person decides to go to work and infects their coworkers. You guys are the doctors for crying out loud. You know damn well that this is how it's spread. All right. So let's use science because I like science, them coming into contact or being exposed doesn't equal positive infection or that you're shedding the virus, first of all. Also, if they're wearing PPE, then how is that any different than you as a nurse going into the room, taking care of that patient? Or maybe you're the nurse that's sitting there holding that patient's hand as they're dying and wearing PPE. And then guess what? You go home and you cook dinner for your kids. And then the next day is your day off and you go to the store and then you decide to go outside and go to the beach with your kids that day and do like an outdoor activity. How is that any different? different. How is that different? Maybe you decided to still have a Thanksgiving family gathering. Right. Like you don't think that some of the even like younger people in healthcare weren't like at a bar on Saturday night, an outdoor bar because those have sprung up. I mean, look at you. You were at your you were at your dad's bedside. Yeah. And. None of us have it. None of you have it. Five of us. So, you know, some of these rationalizations. Okay. Then next one. You're assuming that visitors will self-quarantine and not go out to the public. How many visitors can they have? One to 10, question mark. How many PPE? How much PPE are we going to give? Uh, Most of the time, hospitals are still reusing one-time, quote, one-time use PPE. We're trying to stop the pandemic, not curtail it. How much PPE are we going to give is all of it the same that we get? We'll get into the shortage because we will get into that. But um, and then how many visitors? It's the same as any end of life care. It's a case by case situation. We've dealt we've been ICU nurses for a long time. We deal with death and dying. Our visitor policy is always like three to the bedside. And then we start to get into these special circumstance situations where we make case-by-case decisions where it's, okay, well, this patient's passing away. We're going to extend the visitation for this. Um, Sometimes people don't want a ton of people in the room when people die either. Sometimes they just want to be alone. If my mom had wanted to be the only one in the room, I would have respected that. And that that's like a family's choice to make that decision. So we have seen people where they don't want a bunch of people in the room. They want that moment and that final moment to be between them and they want it to be smaller. And my sister's a pediatric oncology nurse. And sometimes she wants, the parents want just parents and the child in there when she deals with end of life. And sometimes they do want the siblings allowed or they do want the aunt allowed it's a case-by-case situation. Why are we acting like this is any different because of a virus? Well, and I think assuming that, you know, what she's implying is that things would get out of hand and that, you know, allowing, you know, even one person, like she's basically this person. The snowball saying, effect. Yeah, it's a Like if you give effect. a mouse a cookie. Right. And I'll validate that. Like I understand as being a provider, like sometimes you're like, well, if we allow this, then how are we going to, you know, allow that? And it's like, you where know, do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Okay. And I understand that and I validate that. But at the same time, if 
let's flip it on you. Let's say you're, it's your parent, it's your husband, it's your wife, it's your family member in that bed by themselves. Would you really want to, is this how you want them to die? Uh, next question. Um, using limited PPE and using it improperly, which put them in the in this situation, um, our families and the community at risk and has led to the actual outbreak of COVID in our hospitals and care times. It sucks that we can't allow all visitors, but that's just the way it has to be. We have we have ways of facilitating connection virtually. Obviously, it's not the same, but all of us going through sacrifices right now, why risk more death and more morbidity? Like because you at this point, you don't care about the humanity behind the job. And I think that's what Z Dog was getting about. That we can't just lose sight of humanity. And if you, if someone had the audacity when my stepdad was telling me that, sorry, it sucks. This is just the way that it has to be. I'd be in jail right now. Yeah. I would lose my shit. That it, it doesn't have to be that way. And we'll get into it because Tori and I don't like to come to any the table on empty handed. Right. We looked up stuff. We have some information we about have a lot of stuff we're going to go into yeah, that yeah, we'll yeah. get into to back up why we feel so strongly about this. But to just say that's the way it is. Does it doesn't have to be this way, though? Yeah. So you're accepting it. And why? Why are you accepting that that's just the way it has to be? And yes, we do have to make sacrifices, but end of life care isn't one of them. You know, here's the thing, too. I'm going to put this out there right now. Situationally, we're in December. This started in March. The situations in March, April, May, even June, July, like that's a very different situation. We are in a very different place right now. We've learned so much as well. Yes. In general. So the fact that you're saying this now here in December, that's what you're saying. And And we're going to go into details as to why this there's on so many levels. And why are you defending that? Why? I think what he keeps saying is hospital administrators make these policies and they're not doing it for your safety in mind. If they cared about your safety, your hospital wouldn't be short of PPE. So they're not doing it with your safety in mind and they're not doing it to provide the patients the best level of care or they would go to the end of the earth. I guarantee you if a hospital CEO's parent was dying in the hospital of COVID, they'd be allowed in there to visit. You don't think so? Or would someone tell that hospital CNO or CEO or whoever, whatever upper management administrator, sorry, sucks. It's just the way it is. But here's Zoom. Um, Next one. I... I really want to know how many COVID patients these two have personally treated or had to die in front of them. Easy to sit back and pass judgment when you're not the one facing it every day, Z-Dog. How many? Deflection much? Does it matter? What he's saying is that hospital administrators are capable of more. And he's saying that out of a place of protection for you, the frontline provider, too. Because the PTSD that's going to leave on you as a provider to how many patients have you guys sat with that you've had to hold their hands and be their last person with them when they died? And you don't think that's going to take a mental toll on you guys? He's saying this as demand better for our patients, but that's also for us as healthcare providers because we shouldn't be burdened with that. 
They, and so not all the comments were were bad. We actually found some really good ones as well. Yeah, so some of these people made great valid points that we want to highlight. This is a doctor. Um, she says definitely very unethical in the UK. Patients can have visitors once they're at end of life. We inform them of the risks involved and provide them with the same PPE, PPE that we wear. Um, another one, I feel unfortunate that the large multi-system hospitals with whom I've uh, been employed always encourages families to come and to be with a patient at end of life systems. have We have a no one dies alone uh, initiative and they've had that for years and it's remained in place throughout COVID. So how can that hospital system and mul- she said multi-hospital system manage to keep that policy in place and make it work and others aren't? Why are you not pressing your hospital administrators about why? It's not that they can't. It's because they're choosing not to. Why? This is by far one of the hardest parts of this COVID. I've watched so many residents in my nursing home die completely alone without family. We become the replacement for their family. It's disheartening and something needs to change. That breaks my heart. That genuinely breaks my heart. Uh, Next comment. There are definitely worse things than dying. We've become risk adverted. What about the hundreds of elderly patients who are in hospitals with zero visitation policies that aren't necessarily actively dying, but are scared and alone and declining because their only will to live comes from their families who love them and can't visit them. This is the same. There are worse things than dying. Being a part of this bullshit, inhumane method of averting the spread of COVID keeps me up at night. Absolutely. So honestly, we're going to get into like visitation, but I, it almost makes me want to go back to get like my PhD or doctorate and study the actual numbers because I feel like there's going to be a lot of research to come and we're going to, we don't even know how detrimental this quite is yet on healthcare and patient outcomes, but it, we know that the mental side of healing has an effect on your physiological body. And so she made such a good point of the fact that a lot of these patients, their will to live comes from seeing their family and it's causing them to decline. And I honestly really wonder that if my stepdad wasn't isolated for five months, there are people in jail, maybe pre-COVID, but people in jail that see their family more often than some of these nursing home residents or people that have been hospitalized that are granted no visitation for five months. That is inhumane. I genuinely wonder, and I'm going to have to sit with this and my family for the rest of our lives to just wonder would my stepdad still be here today if these visitor policies weren't in place? Because he is more like isolated in those five months. This man served in Vietnam in jungles alone. And now we've put him in a hospital where he can't see his family and he's fighting for his life. That is cruel. That is cruel. And my sister and I, I'm to be perfectly honest, One night we snuck in to his unit because we work at a hospital next door to the hospital he was at. And we were just like night shift is a little more lax on rules. And he'd already been in the hospital for about three weeks and was not doing well at all. And we just my sister and I just we were at a loss for what to do anymore. And we knew that his spirit was 
like he was fighting so hard, but he was so tired. He was so tired. And it like broke our hearts. Like we were dropping cards off every day. We made posters, uh, collages of pictures of our family to put up in the room and Bible verses. And we're still just like, how can we encourage someone and let them know that we love them and we're there when we can't see them? We can't even really FaceTime because he's so sick. He can't even hold an iPad and all of that. And really, FaceTiming with some staff member holding an iPad up is so intrusive, too. You're not even getting a moment to really like be with your loved one. And we were just like, what are, what are they going to do? Kick us out? Okay, then they kick us out. We got to at least try. You and your sister work in facilities with COVID patients. Yeah. So the yeah. irony here. Yeah. It's, so it's we, a little we ironic. We snuck over. We brought cookies because people like cookies. And we waited till night shift when it's quiet. And we snuck over there with cookies. And the staff there was amazing. They were like, oh, we don't see anyone. There's masks over there. We don't see you. And stay as long as you want. And we don't see you. And they let us. And he improved dramatically after that visit. Dramatically. But if you just feel like sucks that it has to be this way, you've lost humanity and sight of even just doctors taking oath to do no harm. And we go into nursing to help people. And if we've lost sight of that, like, step away. This comment, they would physically have to arrest me to leave if it was my loved one. It should definitely be a choice. You know, and I don't have something close to what Sam is talking about. Um, The closest that I can relate to is when my brother was in the hospital in the ICU, neuro ICU, after a car accident. And it was one in, one out, a family member. And I just remember like that feeling. I, I couldn't imagine like being in your shoes where like I literally couldn't even see him. And I, it's just, I don't know, the amount of um, torture and anguish that families go through. I mean, you're essentially putting your family member in jail when this happens, like you're, you're unable to see them. And we're going to unpack more of this, but I feel like the inability to hold your parent, your child, your loved one, your your brother, your sister's hand in the last moments of their life. And that's what we're talking about, you guys. We're not even talking about visitation. We're talking end of life. We're talking this person's last breaths. Like that's inhumane, in my humble opinion. What was that other comment where someone was like, the only problem here is that Americans think their rights supersede the rights of others during a pandemic. We're not talking that's about not what we're talking about. Like, I have a problem with anti-maskers that, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about end of life care. Yeah. And overall policy change. Yeah. You know, I mean, here's the thing. I understand it too. Like, we need to meet in the middle, right? Like, there's definitely that aspect. And I get it. Compromise. You know, it doesn't have to be one way or, you know, and I'm not saying we have the full answers, but I will say, you know, this is what we've been dealing with since the beginning of the pandemic, the pediatric world. This is our visitation policy. And that's not even end of life. That's a daily. And change doesn't happen unless we talk about it. And you, like you said, there is a little bit of compromise. When I was talking to the palliative care team in my own personal situation, I said, whatever you can do, please. If it can only be my mom and my sister, please. She, fortunately, I was able to go and I will forever be grateful for that moment. But at the end of the day, my, like, they even kind of came to me and they said, what's your ask? And she's like, I hate to, like, I don't want to prioritize family members because it's disgusting that we even have to have that conversation. And she was like, very honest with me. She's like, I hate that I'm even 
asking you this, but if you had to rank your family in levels of importance, how would you do it? And I was like, it, it does suck that you're asking me that, but I can easily spout it off. My mom, my sister. And then after that, I would say my other sister. And then I would say my brother and I are equal of importance and last in line. And if you can only get my mom in, I will be actually pretty pissed <laughs> and I will still fight. I, I like take me to the house supervisor, call and wake up the CNO. Like I will, I will escalate to the fullest level if I have to, because I want my mom and sister there. If you can only get them in there, I'll, I'll back down at that point. Th those are my main two asks. And that's what I told the palliative care nurse that I dealt with. It's just mind blowing to me that we're having like these discussions. And I don't think that change happens unless we're talking about it. And that's why we're bringing this to even a podcast episode, because you should be having these conversations with your coworkers, with your management, with your leadership, with your hospital administration. Doctors should be speaking up and it should be multidisciplinary where we're all coming together and saying we have to do better for our profession and for our patients, for both of us. And no one wants to ever. And I think that's where, like Z Dog is saying, we're complicit and everyone kind of got lost on the meeting. And I guess I get the thing with his tone and delivery of saying, like, well, don't blame us. Like, that's not fair to blame us. It, it's not blaming us. Take the personal out of it. Take the defense, drop the defense hat at the door and just be like, listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. We need to have these conversations because change doesn't happen unless we make waves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I want to also validate this. Um, there's a lot of providers out there who've been working COVID since the beginning of this and they're fucking exhausted. I, I get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you're working in an, especially an adult ICU or any adult med search floor, I'm going to validate that. Like it is, it's beyond anything. You've seen things more than anyone should ever see zipped up more body bags. Um, it's exhausting. And I know working in, in an ICU with vents and monitors and tons of hundred drips and, you know, like it's overwhelming. It's all these things. But, you know, really, when you get down to it, at the end of the day, it's about human dignity. This is what it's about. And at what cost? Because of money and dollars? Like your hospital has a PPE shortage? That's, but they sh that's on them. That's on and them. And here's the thing. In December, we're talking December, guys you know, that, that is something you should be bringing up to them. Why is their supply short? Why, why is it that you're reusing N95s at this point? Why is it that, you know, you're out of gloves, you're out of, you know, these are things that are things you should be challenging. And can they actually answer that with like real proof other than to say like, oh, well, they're out of stock. I, I show me the Bullshit. proof. We have, I mean, we, articles, Mike, you guys. Mike, Mike has a surplus. If your hospital administrator tells you that they're out of stock, tell them to call up Mike in New Jersey because he has a surplus and is even continuing to pump them out even more and they're CDC approved. So I'm not saying that your hospital doesn't have enough supplies. They probably don't at your expense and at the patient's expense. I also want to validate too, being on the provider side, you know, having done this, Sam and I, for however many years we've been doing this now. You know, we do get stuck in our ways. We get frustrated with um, patients, with the general population in general, because we feel like we're repeating ourselves over and over and over. Obviously, our COVID rates are up. That's a fact, you know, and it, you do get tired of doing it over and over. And, you know, when you're going in every day doing it and, you know, I validate that. But if you're at the point where you cannot allow and you can't find it in your heart 
to support a family who's who is having to deal with the fact that their family member is dying, if you can't find it in your heart to really understand or empathize, put yourself in their shoes to support them, then maybe it's not right for you anymore. If you've gotten that hard and that cold and, you know, I cannot imagine telling a mom that she couldn't hold her baby or, you know, be with her dying child in the last breaths and telling them because of this situation that they're in that they can't do that. I cannot imagine that. And it shouldn't. Go, that shouldn't be for any patient. That's not just pediatric world. That's that's anyone. I could not imagine. Um, Sam's family went through it. You guys went through it. Yeah, and it's so hard to even be recording this episode because it's like in one second I'm like on the brink of tears, and the other second I'm like angry, and I feel like that's just the emotions I've been experiencing in the last couple of weeks, anyways. But again, I feel like obviously very deeply personal episode for me, but I felt compelled to speak out as a person in healthcare to say, hey, we got to talk about this and we got to do better because it's not okay. No one should ever die alone, period. Or without their loved one, without someone there with them, you know, and I, I yeah, I think at this point we do need to be challenging it. We need to be talking about it um, and we, we need to do it to where we're not jumping down each other's throats. Fighting with each other isn't the problem. Yeah. Again, it's not exactly like and I get it. A lot of these these comments in the Z Dogs section was was very much like heated from you could tell it's from people that have worked in COVID units that are so frustrated. Now, and I get it. But then why are rather than attacking someone who is saying we in the medical field can do better and we need to start challenging and we need to start really standing up and understanding the why and finding the solutions like have we gotten to a place where we can't even talk to each other about how we can do better in the medical field? We talk about evidence-based research and all this and all that and doing better, better, better. But when it comes to the humanity of our medical field, we get so hard and so cold. And I'm guilty of it, you guys. I will say as a NICU nurse, as a, I've worked in PICU, I've worked in all, you get hard. I get it. There are times when I've looked at a parent and I'm just so frustrated. I'm so over it or a policy that's going on. I'm just like, this is our policy and this is how we're doing it. But you have to remember at the other end of that, that is a human. That is their family. And one day it could be you. You could be the one in that seat. You could be the one in the hospital bed or it could be your loved one in that hospital bed. And what are you going to do then? Absolutely. One day when I, yeah. I'm like mentally prepared one day for like, you know, when example, Jacob and I have a kid. I'm like, if I end up in an ICU, I'm going to fucking lose my shit because yeah. I know what we have, what we yeah. put parents through. And we, we still talk to some NICU moms that have major PTSD yeah. from their four months spent in the NICU. And I just feel like this is the time we could be coming together. Our healthcare infrastructure was not prepared for a global pandemic as far as supplies, staffing, all of it. We were grossly underprepared for these levels of hospitalizations and the acuity of patients. We weren't ready. It started in March, though. We're in December. And the fact that we're not doing better or at least talking about it, if anything, it showed us our deficits. But now it's on us to talk about it 
and say, how can we do better and how can we be better? And we should be challenging these things. And a lot, I get it. At the same time, when we're sitting here saying, well, maybe it's time to like leave the bedside or you encouraging people, you should speak up. I get the other aspect of it. It's like, well, it's easy for you to say, like, I have bills to pay. I have kids. I'm a single parent. I can't be going around just like fighting the man and challenging management and doing that. Like, I got to I got to work. I got to keep my job. I agree. <laughs> I get it. I got rent to pay, <laughs> too. But at the end of the day, that's why we need each other, because it's no one should have to fight that fight alone. But if you have your whole team of nurses, your whole doctor group, your whole medical group saying, hey, what are we doing about this? And pressing management and pressing hospital administrators. That's where like change happens. We have to come together and talk about these things. And it is hard to put yourself in those vulnerable positions sometimes, especially during a year where other people's spouses maybe got laid off during they don't work in healthcare. They're not an essential worker. People have lost their jobs this year. People are unemployed. People are struggling to make it. So I get it. It's not, it's like not so black and white. And it's definitely one of those easier said than done things. But true change doesn't happen unless we make, like bring it to light. And so that was his first step was even just talking talking about about it. it, Because now we're talking about it. And stirring conversation. Yeah. And I think it is, it's kind of like Sam was saying, like, it's like, it's almost the idea of where power in numbers, right? It's like, if we're having this conversation and then maybe you have a conversation with one of your coworkers and then you and your coworker talk to your manager and your manager talks to, you know, this is like, this is how change happens. And I think, you know, it, this was a really, I think this is really important to talk about and it is, it's frustrating. You know, I validate it in the medical world. We get stuck in our ways. Yeah. We really do. Yeah, that's a a big fight. But when your whole team bands together and stands together, even teaming up, nurses, doctors, RTs alike, to sit there and say, these are our demands. You need to have better staffing. Yeah. We need PPE. You know, and the other thing, too, just rounding this out. Okay, so in our in the hospital organization that we've worked in and my other one as well, policies have changed, right? Mm -hmm. They've all they've evolved greatly over this pandemic. You know, and another aspect I I think is still very pertinent is so many people work in COVID units and wear the PPE and go home. Are they quarantining? Are we really like, let's look at this really like realistically, you know, I mean, we're so big on science, but we're ignoring critical thinking skills. Yes. Like so many people are working in COVID units. They go home to their kids. I mean, you go home to your families. Are you really quarantining and not seeing people for two? I mean, you're working constantly in COVID in COVID situations. So it's like, there's a lot of things that I'm like, you know, if we, if we just set the Make it make sense. Yes. Make it make sense, yeah, you guys. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's a little confusing. Yeah. That we're not asking the why mm-hmm. or how to make it better. How do we make it so we can we can make that happen? When if you stop asking why, it means that you're just going through the motions. That goes for just anything, even in nursing. A doctor writes an or order. Healthcare. I don't just blindly follow orders. A doctor writes an order and I'll go to them and be like, tap, tap on your shoulder. Why are we doing this? And sometimes they have a really good explanation. I'm like, oh, thank you. You taught me something today. And sometimes their explanation sucks. And I'm like, so can we talk about that? Because I'm confused because research has shown this and we kind of will get into it and they'll be like, hmm, 
And sometimes we compromise. And sometimes doctors have changed their orders based on my why. And that's advocacy. Yeah. And for us right now, I think we're feeling we felt a very strong sense to advocate for all the families and the patients out I there. I hope no one ever has to go through with what my family has gone through the last five months. And I can't imagine and I am heartbroken for other families that have gone through what my family's experienced and didn't get to be there for end of life because these things are going to haunt them for the rest of their lives. Not to mention all the providers that had to be there yeah. and had to be the handholder and had to be the person to do that. I mean, that's going to, it's going to affect people. This is, this is like beyond anything. I think so many people ever expected the amount of PTSD. You Let's know. stop making excuses for administrative decisions because we aren't asking the why. Well, there's not enough PPE for us. Why? 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 Hey, I'll find you a supplier. Get, I got a supplier a right answer. here for you. Ask why. Ask why. And, yeah. it, and if they can't really answer you why, then they need to. They should be able to answer to that. Why is there not enough PPE? And if they say, oh, well, there's a shortage. Okay, why? Where? How? Be transparent. There needs to be way more transparency with this whole situation because the policies shouldn't be in place that aren't evidence-based. And then to make a policy that family, oh, well, then they should have to quarantine after. Well, is staff quarantining? Then no. So that doesn't make sense. So then if the only argument then boils down to the fact that, oh, well, they need enough PPE. Well, why? Why does your hospital not have enough PPE for these people? And it's not saying to allow visitors, 20 visitors a day or five visitors a day, two visitors. It's end of life. You should have enough PPE to allow them to be there for end of life. We had to unpack that one, you guys. And I know people are not always going to even agree with our take here, too. But I challenge you that if you disagree so strongly with what Tori and I had to say and you're feeling like, well, they don't get it. They don't work around it. No, well, we do. One, I will say I do get it. I'm on yeah. transport. I go to adult ERs every single time I work and I do pick up COVID positive patients. And I worked, I work pick you with COVID positive patients. Yeah. But I challenge you if you do disagree with us. I mean, of course we love to hear the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, not everyone, like Tori and I didn't even agree on some things going into this episode. Yeah. Like we love each other, but we fight like little, yeah, you we know, do. like wives. Yeah. Um, and so we got in a little like even tiff before this started yeah, just because yeah. of how to present certain things, because it is a very hot topic. Totally. And so but if you don't agree with us, I just challenge you to ask yourself, who are you actually defending? Yeah, that's maybe the question. Really dig deep. I think that's a big question. Because if your only argument for is because that there's a shortage of PPE or even I heard some arguments saying, well, they don't know how to properly don and doff it. We actually have like a PPE nurse at our hospital that just goes around to watch and make sure people do it correctly because everyone does it wrong. So get real. That's not a valid excuse. And you could go down the what ifs forever. Yes. You could and go always down. going to be outliers. Yeah. Too, that, of, right. Well, then this like and people have examples of this one family and then they took advantage this way and they did this. OK, there's always going to be outliers. Yeah. Like stop, stop, stop yourself yeah. from going down those rabbit holes. Yeah. And ask yourself again, why and who are you defending? The way I picture it is really, truly like myself in a hospital bed, struggling for my last breaths. And of being alone. And being alone. 
That's is, terrifying. Is that what we are advocating for in the medical field? Like, I, I really want to know that. Well, and, you know, it's a message for you guys here. Like, we love you. And we really do appreciate this community because I feel like this is going to be, I feel like, a well-received um, episode. You know, Sam, I was I, was I welcome really, people into my DMs, too, because yeah. I feel like I can speak to someone who is a healthcare provider, who is a frontline provider that is in every different adult ER in a 250-mile radius being exposed, and then someone who's been on the family side, who's had their families absolutely devastated by COVID. So honestly, if you want to talk about it further to me, you know where to find me. But I am I would love to hear it because I feel like I'm able to speak from a place of seeing both sides of this coin. Yeah, which is important. We do need it. And that's something I want to have more conversations like that. I like having open-minded conversations, being able to challenge, challenge things, ask why, you know, um, I think that's important. You know, Sam and I are very, and partly for me, actually, even, you know, getting my master's right now, I'm very interested in a lot of these, you know, both of us have talked about this, a lot of these kinds of topics and being able to question the status quo. And um, we, I hope this is well received. We love you guys. And we're, we're very thankful for every single one of you here. And, um, and, and for everyone that has reached out to me yeah. during this like horrifically difficult time, I appreciate all the love and support that this like online community has given me. It does mean a, the world to me. So I do appreciate you guys. And thank you for coming on and sharing today. I think this is, you know, a, a topic that, you know, we really wanted to talk about. And um, this I'm just is thankful a for tragedy you. in my life. I no doubt about it, but I want to at least be able to come from a place of like advocacy and share this personal immense loss as just, I wanted to just be able to be real with you guys as a way to say, Hey, this is like, I'm a real person. And this is like really what my family really went through. And as someone who's in healthcare, use my voice to say, we've got to do better. Do you think one last question before we head out? Do you think it was um, any um, benefit or detriment to you being a healthcare provider in your in your dad's situation? Like I can't what? imagine all the families out there that don't have a family member in healthcare. How much harder it is because me being in healthcare, I already know the right questions to ask, and I already know that they can make exceptions and things like that. That nothing is ever no policy ever means no. So I already like know the chain of command to be like, okay, well, let me talk to the charge nurse. Okay, well, let me talk to your nurse manager. Okay, well, let me talk to your unit director. Okay, well, let me talk to your house supervisor. Okay, well, then let me talk to the chief nursing officer. Like, I already know that the level's to it. So I can't imagine someone who's just like told, oh, well, that's the way it is. And they just go, oh, okay. That sucks. It really sucks to not have someone in your family that works in healthcare that can fight for you and advocate for you. And those are the people that we really should be fighting for because at least for my situation, my sister and I are both nurses. You weren't going to stop us <laughs> from coming in that room. So I think being a healthcare provider definitely made things different for my situation. Um, absolutely. And that's why it's also just not fair. Because again, you mean to tell me if a hospital administrator had a family member dying from COVID that they wouldn't be allowed in the room because of safety and PPE issues? No that exception would be made. So it's not fair to 
to people that don't have family in the healthcare that they just have to accept these policies because they don't have anyone to fight and advocate for them. Not to mention a lot of the COVID um, patients tend to be ones who are in situations that they don't know how to advocate for themselves. Yeah. We had to unpack that one for you guys. We're very thankful for you guys today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, this one was, we were kind of spur of the moment with this one. We, we didn't, we, we weren't planned. This was, we this had one wasn't planned. One we actually released. had a, another one planned, but we wanted to do this. We thought this was more important for everyone. So thank you guys for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Get out there. Use your voice. Have the conversations, you know, start the conversations. All right, you guys, make sure you're following us on our Instagram. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all of our episodes on www.selfiepodcast.com. Um, thank you for all your rates and your reviews. <laughs> the past couple of weeks, Sam and I, um, we just want to give a shout out to you guys because we're so thankful. Every DM we've gotten, um, the messages, it's just been I've been so overwhelmed cool. and I haven't, again, I've taken kind of an Instagram hiatus due to this personal loss in my family. So it came at a weird time that this rebrand happened at the same time that my stepdad was um, re-hospitalized and all this was going down. So I haven't, um, I've taken a step back from Instagram and I need that for myself. But, you know, Tori will kind of screenshot and be like, look at these reviews and this feedback. And it's been overwhelming. So even though I'm not really responding to it and being is interactive. I do appreciate all the like great responses that we've been getting from you guys. So thank you for all um, the support. Yeah. And when you do uh, make sure you put your Instagram handle in the review, um, we will be sending over a swag bag for you guys. We just added a Selena selfie icon pin to our little swag moment. We have our stickers, we have our badge reels. So we just want to say thank you to you guys um make sure you're following us on our instas that's at nurse tori and at hey samantha with two ways and we want to say thank you we hope you guys have a great week um everyone stay healthy and stay safe all right guys we'll talk to you next week bye